internet. The children are watching Austin Powers if you'd like to join. My name is Matthew Kroll. And uh, we don't break traffic laws here. My name is Shahir Dowd. <laughs> this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Midsoma. Midsoma. Is it Midsummer? I got that summer time, summer time sadness. Have you ever been to a Midsummer festival? Uh, no. Will you go now? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny because I have Swedish friends in New York who are like celebrating Midsoma. Oh, no. Uh, and it looked it looked delightful, which is why I wanted to see this movie. Uh, That's uh, why you wanted to see this movie because yeah, you thought Swedish people seem cool. Actually, fun story. Uh, I went to college. Uh, uh, I got an exchange scholarship to come to the United States. Right. There was a very very short moment where instead of uh, coming to the United States, I was actually offered the same scholarship with a flight thrown in from the KLF, I think is the uh-huh. the airline, to go to Stockholm instead. Oh. So instead of coming to the United States, I could have ended up in Stockholm, Sweden, where uh, I could have uh, wound in the same fate as some of the characters of this film, which would have made it interesting because then the timeline of this particular podcast wouldn't exist. So you could have there mentioned, you go. When you mentioned that you did go to film school, you might have had a slight Swedish accent. Oh, actually, uh, I was offered to go there not... Uh, uh, on film school, but in uh, business school, because that's uh, I I did, oh, I did a double degree. Really? Yeah. I um, this is very interesting. I I um didn't get an offer. <laughs> this is so funny. This is how benign, uh, banal. I don't know which one. Both. My life is. Uh, I got offered. I, I took a job right out of college at this place called Technical Resources Incorporated. It was basically like a place that TRI. like. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was like pieces of the pieces of the pieces of the pieces of the top secret aircraft for the government, mm-hmm. and I worked in purchasing, so I bought widgets for the engineers in the basement and blah, 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 blah. I worked there for a year, and they offered me a full ride to go to business school to oh. continue to work there. Ooh. And I was like, no, Ma- mom and dad, I'm going to be a film major. <laughs> Uh, it's funny. I've I've met so many people who, because uh, because that's essentially it. Like it was like the backup plan in case yeah. the filmmaking thing didn't work out, and maybe I should have taken it. I mean, look, <laughs> we we all have our hindsights. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I've met people who to who uh, who took the backup plan and are now like looking to transition back. I mean, uh, here's the deal. I, and this is now we're getting a little bit into life advice from Shahir and Matt. But I do believe that the grass is always greener, no matter how amazing or terrible your your the, your path that you chose. You the the path not taken will always look attractive to you because the the, the actualities no. of it that, that's actually not the advice I would have given. Oh, well, that's the advice I'm giving. It's not even advice. It's just something yeah. to realize because I I don't want people to I I personally don't like it when people are like, "Oh man, if only I had done this." It's like, "Well, mm. possibly that would have been great." But there's so many variables that another path like that would take you on. You have no idea how it would turn out. Yeah, I guess so. I guess my point there is that I actually did get a degree in accounting and uh, and commercial law and I've never practiced it uh, ever. I can't even file my own tax returns. Um, but <laughs> But uh, you have a degree. I have a degree in accounting and commercial <laughs> law. Um, and I can't file my own tax returns. And here's the thing. I am uh, uh, not one bit regretful for not following that path. Like, sure. Like, like I am. I am a hundred percent fine with not having done that. Sorry, I'm not saying any path. Yeah. I'm saying like if you took a path yeah. and then you were currently unhappy due to a job or or mm-hmm. something else going on in your life, and you're like, oh man, you have that sort of wistful like, if only I had done this. Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. to me is is a little bit of um. It, it's a it's a tricky brain thought. Well, here's something that if only we had done better research in a previous podcast episode. Uh, people have been emailing us in this week. Thank you very much. And a couple of reviews, which we'll read as well. Uh, but uh, thank you to everyone who emailed us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter. We have yeah. a new Instagram page. We do. With a solid 20 followers, which we need your help to build up a little bit. That is right. Uh, only 
Movie Podcast. Yeah, Only Movie Podcast on Instagram. We'd like to transition away from using our personal Instagrams. Uh, although we will still post stuff there. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. If you're still following us yeah. there, that's great. Yeah, don't stop following Skeletor Fort Press. Just also stop <laughs> following <laughs> Only Movie Podcast. Yeah, but uh, what was our first email? This is good. This dates all the way back to our Ballad of Buster Scruggs episode. Which I love. And please leave it to uh, IRL friend uh, Morgan, uh, whom we both know from our MTV days, um, who, who writes we'll, us in. Uh, hopefully have on the podcast. Yeah, that'd be great. Morgan, come on the show, you beautiful monster. Okay, he writes, I'm sure you've gotten this email before, but in Buster Scruggs, Aces and Eights is known as a dead man's hand. It's not just a bad hand, it's the worst hand. Wild Bill Hickok, uh, before he died, had that hand. I think if there's no wild cards, two pair with Aces is not a bad hand at all. Odds are no one has three of a kind or better, but I'm no poker whiz. What Morgan is referencing is we got into a little bit of a poker discussion due to Buster Scruggs. Um, where we were debating back and forth if uh, two pair with one of them being aces was a decent poker hand. Uh, she here said he'd play it. I said I wouldn't. Um, I think what this email has reminded me of is that uh, we should have an only movie podcast invitational. Oh, right. Uh, a real high stakes, $10 buy-in, $5 buyback. Yep. Uh, Morgan, it? you're the first one entered. Is it a three-card draw, Texas Texas. I mean, you, we can play Hold'em. Uh, I like Hold'em. I, you know, there's other fun games, too, but uh, Hold'em seems to be the one that, like, for whatever reason, like, 2002, everyone's like, whoa, what, when did poker get metal? I think it's because of the movie Rounders. Um, mm. That the, would probably, yeah. probably have some effect on it. But thank you again, Morgan. Uh, we will not be playing poker soon because now we know exactly how all of us are going to play. I mean, I'll play fine. <laughs> uh, we got a couple of uh, podcast reviews as well on iTunes. Thank you for these. Both five-star reviews. Very much appreciated. First one from Potato Heart in Canada. Uh, I found out this exists from a YouTube plug. Best decision to go out and go and check it out. I wonder which YouTube plug that was. It's probably an extra credit. It probably was an extra credits one. Thank you, thank you, Potato Heart. Side yeah. note, delicious name. Mm, delicious, yeah. Especially fried with a little bit of oil. Listen, and a little butter, I, I had that for lime, lunch. I had rosemary. I had half mm. of that name for lunch yesterday. Ah, potato I'll Heart. let you decide which half that was. What, with like the left ventricle or the right ventricle? You know, however you want to <laughs> yeah. go. All right. Uh, also coming in from the Philippines, a great podcast. Seriously. Yeah, this is better than most movie, <laughs> most review of movies. Case in point, cinema sins at the same time. This is the balance between reviewing and a critical eye. Noise. I like it. Yep. Uh, cinema sins, we, we, we seem to be nipping at the heels of CinemaSins for some reason. And here's the deal. First of all, thank you so much to, uh, to both of our listeners who wrote in. If you'd like to leave us a review, five stars is always the one we hope for, but we'll take as many as you were happy to give us. I don't know. Here's the thing. I have not thought about CinemaSins like, until somehow it came up on here. Like I can't tell you the last time I watched a CinemaSins. I like, haven't watched them in a while. The one I, I still love is Screen Junkies. I think uh, Screen Junkies uh, is great. Honest Trailers is yep. really, really terrific. Honest Trailers is good. Um, also, um, How It Should Have Ended is fun, but it's not really review-ish. No, no. Um, it, yeah. Um, I think CinemaSins kind of had their downfall because of uh, a, a little bit of a tweet storm from Jordan Watt Roberts, who directed Skull Island. He uh, he kind of had like a little bit of a thing about yeah Cinema I remember Sins. that and 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 it's true when I watch Cinema Sins I go most of these aren't sins they're just saying things and I I think that's maybe the irony of the whole thing but it 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 feels 
Uh, and maybe this comes back to that conversation of punching up versus punching down. Um, but the idea that uh, that that they're seemingly taking punches for the sake of being mean. I don't know. I haven't watched Cinema Sins in a little. I mean, but the interesting thing is, I mean, I don't know when they were founded, um, but they have what eight point five mil, like we'd said before. So I mean, people are still watching Cinema Sins, of course. Um, so yeah, uh, smash that subscribe or like button uh, if you will. Um, oh, as well, we did post a video on YouTube uh, on our YouTube channel last week, which has got nowhere near the numbers of the CinemaSins. Close. Uh, it was uh, close. Very close. But my son uh, reviewed Toy Story 4 for us on uh, on the YouTubes. Uh, so go and check that out. It's very fun, very cute. Uh, and he has been uh, drinking the Toy Story Kool-Aid for the last couple of weeks. So we'll see how long that lasts yeah. uh, before we switch <laughs> to the next thing. Uh, well, maybe I'll try to do another one of those at some point. I mean, just take him to Midsommar. I mean, uh, I think yeah, that's... I was thinking Midsommar would be kind of a great yeah. uh, Nick step from Toy Story 4. Uh, I mean, that's the natural progression natural. Of, of, a, of a filmography. Yeah, exactly. Uh, toy, uh, toy Story. <laughs> Midsummer at this stage was my most anticipated film of the year because of my love for Hereditary. If you go back to uh, Ari Aster's previous film, uh, his directorial debut, Hereditary, uh, if you go back to listen to our review of both Hereditary and our top 10 of the year of 2018, uh, you'll see that Hereditary was my number one film of last year. Uh, I absolutely loved that uh, debut. Uh, I, I have a feeling that um, I guess modern uh, modern horror that is um, I don't know. I, hate, I was about to say the word elevated horror, and I hate that phrase. Um, but I guess the in recent years, my favorite films have been horror movies, um, both the the Vich, uh, which uh, the follow up from Dave Eggers is coming out shortly, The Lighthouse, nice. and um, and Hereditary. And I think I, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but both. Because to be honest with you, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not like a, a a huge horror buff, uh, regardless. But both of these films, who uh, which are horror films, are films that I've absolutely been taken by and swept away with, and kind of loved at, in almost every facet. I don't know if I and, and I don't like, and I know you're not coining it, and I know you kind of walked it back a little bit. I don't like the term elevated horror. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's dramatic horror. Yeah. I think that that you know, and there's also you know with less of a sort of perfect vernacular there's more like shocky horror or like you know slasher films or you know like well, horror has its own subgenre. yeah yeah well. yeah um and and you know it's funny uh before even seeing midsummer uh people were debating and i was kind of like just you know lurking on on the twitter box about like is midsummer a horror movie hmm. um and I, you know hopefully i'll have an answer by the end of this podcast okay. because you could there's arguments there's good arguments on both sides huh really yeah. I, I wouldn't have thought so but uh, okay um uh so ari Aster's uh, follow up film midsummer and the, the 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 story of how this film came about is really fascinating uh, because uh, ari Aster had uh, and i hope i'm pronouncing his name correctly um, had kind of made a little bit of a splash with a script for hereditary a production company in sweden uh, approached him and said hey we want to do a story about uh, you know kind of a, almost a slasher film or uh, some kind of just fairly prototypical horror with uh, American tourists who go to the Midsummer Festival and get killed off one by one. Um, but they'd read his script for Hereditary and said, could you kind of apply the same treatment of Hereditary to the Midsummer Festival? Yeah. And he initially resisted it. He was like, I don't know what I could do with this. You know, like it was it was a writing assignment for him. Um, but after uh, looking at the doing some research and looking at the festival and kind of thinking about a few of his favorite films, particularly the film The Wicker Man, um, you know, in that sort of subgenre of folk horror. Um, 
he decided he could uh, he could take on this uh, this assignment. And the thing that the gateway that got him into it was he would he had just been going through a relationship breakup uh, around the same period as writing this, and he decided to turn the film into uh, a sort of um, a sort of subterfuge breakup film through this mid uh, through this midsummer horror festival uh, sure. horror film that he kind of started, which I thought was just a fascinating um, gateway in. The other part that was fascinating about this is that the production timeline for this film was incredibly accelerated um, as he was making Hereditary. So while Hereditary was his directorial debut, the financing came through for Midsummer, um, it, you know, as he was finishing that up, and he knew that he had to film in the summer. Um, in uh, I believe they filmed in parts of Scotland. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure. Someone can correct me mm-hmm. on that. Um, so he, he kind of talks about it as uh, you know the success. He didn't really get to enjoy the success of Hereditary and then get his next film set up. It was it, already going. It was already going. So he pretty much, uh, as Hereditary, it was kind of lucky that Hereditary did well um, because then it created buzz for Midsommar mm-hmm. um, because uh, he basically had to jump from one production straight into the other. And this film has a sort of interesting... Um, there's always that funny thing about making films uh, in the United States, I guess, which was slightly different from me making films in New Zealand, which is like the seasons are much more pronounced. So you have to, if you want to make a film that's set in the winter, you really have to start doing your pre-production yeah. for it in the summer or even earlier than that. So you kind of have to think a couple of seasons ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Midsummer does have uh, open in the winter. Uh, and and clearly they might have started filming it sort of while they were in the heredi- you know post hereditary phase to kind of capture that or it was done in post. I'm and I sure. also think I mean I I think that they um that I, that was uh, whether it was done post or uh, you know real uh, I think that was a very conscious decision to separate sort of the American beginning of this film uh, and sort of its style to sort of give you the juxtaposition right away when you get to quote Sweden. Uh, yeah. To and and get to the festival itself. I mean the 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 color palettes, mm-hmm. the the way it's sort of like, um, you know, the harshness of nature versus the beauty of nature is very uh, the the dichotomy is there. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think it also makes it it also like easily timestamps the entire film, so you know that there's a dis- di- you know a change in seasons as this happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matt, can you read us out these uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for Midsummer? I would love to. Uh, A couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled midsummer festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre uh, competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Also, when I was looking, uh, you know, I, I this is just an aside. While I was looking for the the IMDb description of For Midsummer, I accidentally spelled it wrong. And did you know that there is a very similarly plotted film that came out in two thousand three called Midsummer? Huh. And the plot for this, <laughs> I've never seen this, but it looks like a two thousand three slasher <laughs> film. Christian's sister commits suicide. So already we have a same-named character in the thing, which I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, why? After his four friends, uh, g- uh, friend graduates uh, from secondary school, they head off to a Swedish cabin uh, for midsummer, uh, and then strange things happens. Is it his the spirit of his sister? So it hmm. kind of breaks down. But like when I first read it. Because I started reading it. Yeah. Uh, I started reading it. And I was like, wait, Christian, wait, this isn't the movie we just, wait, huh? <laughs> oh, there's an A, not but, an E. But also maybe maybe an indirect remake. Yeah. Um, Matt, uh, what was your anticipation going into Midsommar? Uh, it was going to be warm. It was going to, no school. No. Um, I had, 
mixed expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was super pumped after Hereditary, and I knew that this guy knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched the trailer, and the trailer didn't do a whole bunch for me. Okay. Um, and the reason is, while I think the juxtaposition of uh, beauteous ideologic or um, ideally sort of like serene settings, mm-hmm. uh, turning it into horror works very well in a feature-length film, uh, I I didn't get like the scares in the or the things that are supposed to be a little bit disturbing in the trailer. Only one or two of them sort of like even remotely landed for me, and I think it was because it was a short form thing with the imagery that I was seeing. Um, so I I was like, okay, I'm like I know this will be good. Okay. Um, but I I I did not have I think your expectations of it. Yeah. Um. Which, I, to, to be honest, I was kind of psyched because of that. like Because of my expectations? No, 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 sorry. Because my expectations were not high, yet I knew logically that this was a filmmaker who I would very much enjoy what he did. Like, yeah. it was a weird sort of, like, leveling out of what I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, which I think, uh, I, I thought, you know, overall it would help my movie-going experience. Okay. Uh, well, I, yeah, as I said, I, I tempered my expectations by doing the thing that I do, which is not watching any of the trailers. I was like, Ari Aster, uh, making it a follow-up to Hereditary, you got my money. Yeah, yeah, no, they don't no, need to sell you. You don't need to sell me on, any, on anything else. I will be going uh, to the movies to see this. Um, and, and I have to say, um, I think we're going to have a long conversation about this particular film. But, but for the first half of this movie, until a particular event... I was very much in the mode of this is the best film of the year, without a doubt, hundred percent. Not uh, I'm in. There is so much, um, so much care of craftsmanship mm-hmm. along with care of emotional weight uh, given to the characters at the beginning of the film. Like it, it didn't. I I knew that the film involved um, uh, going to the Midsummer Festival, as the title suggested, and I knew that things would go wrong. Uh, that's about it. And and I was not prepared for the first twenty minutes of the film, um, which took you on an emotional roller coaster of pretty much the worst events you could possibly imagine someone having. But done with that kind of uh, cinematic elegance and beauty that he had developed, you know, that he had demonstrated both in Hereditary and immediately in this. And it was it, it was literally from the first frame where we were seeing the uh, the winter the winter coat of uh, Sweden, um, you know, played to sort of a, a beautiful Swedish. Um, um, what, did you, what would you call it? Almost a, not a hem. yodeling, yeah, but a hem or something like that, and a hard cut straight to like a a, a, a phone ringing in suburban America. Uh, the 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 sort of care and precision for that sequence was uh, so so. I guess such a warm blanket for me. You know, like I kind of felt I knew. Going in, that I was in the hands of a great filmmaker right away. Yeah, hard same. Uh, I think uh, it took all of the stuff, and I'm not going to spoil anything for Hereditary, just in case folks haven't seen that. Um, but there's a there's a part, and I would say it's really the the second act of Hereditary, mm-hmm. um, where it does dodge away from sort of what the type of horror you think it's going to be, and it becomes a much more, I guess, realistic. Uh, or, or possibly realistic, you know, t- it, it insanely horrific occurrence that happens to a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and here, uh, they basically do, <laughs> they basically take that feeling, that emotion, that skill, and that craft, and just slam it right in the beginning. They they went full blown up, mm-hmm. uh, where they make the beginning of this film highly, highly effective. This is why I like Ari. 
uh, and the way that he directs. And yes, we are on a first name basis at this point. Yeah. Um, he manages to take things that are would be a legitimate, like life altering and and destroying to that point tragedy for characters. Yeah. And you know the 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 acts themselves or the, the the occurrence themselves is horrific enough, but he paints it in the same style as a supernatural horror occurrence. And there's something that that, that films tend to do. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because while thank God so far in my life I have not experienced something like this. And, you know, I only know a few people that have had, like, this level of sort of tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, It has to, you know, I would imagine that the feeling that something like this would, it, it like, would just be so psyche-shattering that you'd feel exactly what, you know, the the characters are supposedly feeling in a classic horror movie. Like, it's just, it's, it's... Mind breaking, and it's 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 uh, incredibly saddening, and the way that he presents it in the in the in the warm blanket of horror, uh, of like cinematic horror, uh, really is uh, a one-two punch that I hadn't seen before. Hereditary, hmm. um, and so again, here the, the the whole beginning of this film. Uh, which are we going to gradually go through spoilers? Yeah, or how gonna, do you want to do it? I, I, here's what I think. I think we should give a general impression of what we both thought of the movie. You know, which which I think will evolve through our conversation about spoilers. Sure. But we sure. should avoid spoilers. And there's there are spoilers right up from the get go. I think I yeah. think uh, there are things that happen at the very beginning of this movie that you do not want to be spoiled on. So we're gonna we're gonna tiptoe around uh, the subject a little bit. Um, I'll jump in first here, and just to say. Um, I walked out of the film a little confused. Uh, I, 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 as I said before, the first half of this movie, I was um, pretty much, you know, pretty much laying the cards down for the for the for our top ten at the end of the year, saying it's going to be hard to top this yep. at this point um, for for the best film of the year. Um, and and then then there's a a kind of turn that happens in this movie. And uh, um, a switch away from a particular focus of this uh, of this film, which makes my 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 impression of it change somewhat. Now, uh, again, I'm tiptoeing around the, the the topics very carefully, but I will say this: I think one thing that Ari Aster was really amazing at doing was giving a sense of um, the way in which horror, you know, I think is as the way you mentioned it, affects the psyche in a sort of a deep ingrained way, to the point where. Every, there's an everyday, not an everyday occurrence, but there's something that happens at the beginning of this film, which is a horror moment. Yeah. But it's not driven by anything supernatural. It's not driven by anything um, particularly out of the ordinary. It's driven by a sense of inevitability. And I think that's something that that Ari Aster has kind of tapped into, um, both in Hereditary, you know, if you you know, without giving spoilers away for mm-hmm. the ending of uh, Hereditary, and in this film, is a sense that. Horror, the, the the horrors of the world have a inevitable quality to them, and and they have this sense that that they happen whether we have agency over our lives or not, and and w- in a way, the the horror that he is tapping into is our powerlessness against the forces of nature or the forces of the world, um, and that's and I think that's what's really powerful about his voice is not just that he's technically commanding because he really is you know very well versed cinephile um and a very um pronounced 
mastery of uh, the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also that that he has a singular voice about the way in which horror affects our emotional states. And that's what's unnerving about his films. That That is what is, um, is haunting about both Midsummer and Hereditary is the sense that there is an inevitable... Um, inevitable path that our lives will take that will fall in the way of horrific events and we are almost powerless to stop it um and the the sort of thing that he does that i think is really fascinating is he finds both a beauty and terror in that um and and i think that is that that's a really unique skill now obviously the filmmaker i'm going to be thinking about a lot is someone that we've talked about that's someone that's problematic um but is roman polanski um, obviously, Rosemary's Baby is the film I'm thinking about in particular here, which is that it really that, you like Rosemary's Baby? Yeah, I really like Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. Um, Go back and listen to every podcast we've ever done to, to confirm this. I think we've only ever talked about it on separating art from the artist, right? No, we did we did it a bunch. It, yeah. I've even brought up this in Art from Art, which is fine. Rosemary's yeah, yeah. Baby, great film. I yeah. just I, I just I I love it that that's the because you're right. You're 100 percent right in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. I I think Rosemary's Baby. Um, for for whatever uh, for for all the problematic things that have to do with Roman Polanski, uh, is a remarkable staging of the inevitability of terror and 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 the lack of in that particular film, uh, ironically, is about the lack of woman's agency in childbirth. Yeah. Um, and and in Hereditary, it the 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 lack of agency has to do with the the inability for us to stop the things that will emotionally hurt us. And in, in Hereditary, it's the, the death of, uh, of, of Tony Collette's mother. And in this, it is, a, it is another particular event, which, which I won't spoil. Again, there is a, a second half to this film which changed my impression of this movie. But we just saw this last night, and I feel um, I will clarify what those positions are and what my questions are around that. But I feel like those will be clarified around a second viewing of this film. And I'm particularly... Uh, interested in doing a second viewing of this film um, to 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 sort of basically either test my hypothesis or test where I kind of where I sit on the ending mm. of this film. Um, and for all of those reasons, I, I you know there's no question I highly recommend this film as an experience to go see in a theater. The second part of the uh, uh, the third part of maybe of all of this <laughs> is uh, I am amazed that this film exists. Uh, uh, you know, and is put out by A24 and is is being put out. Uh, for an audience to see, I think it's, I think it's only done like six million dollars worth of business at this point. But please go see this in a theater. This is one of the singularly strangest experiences you will have in a in a movie theater, and and one of the singularly strangest movies you will see with you, that you will see with an audience. The kind of film that's usually reserved for kind of cult late night favorites uh, and the sort of oddity of events that happen in this film aren't something that you will see on a regular basis at the multiplex. So uh, I highly encourage you to go see that. And I was, I was kind of blown away by the, it was the same thing I mentioned in hereditary, the, the sort of support for doing things that are very off the beaten path in this film. Right. Uh, and so I, I love it for all of those reasons. Uh, I think um, I agree with, I guess the first two thirds of your um your your statements there being that um i think overall i really enjoyed my time in the theater i think that first third is a master class in literally everything that is filmmaking uh there is then a turn which we will get to which i won't go into but same thing you said that kind of makes you start questioning stuff but at the end of the day when i left the theater 
we all, for the first time, actually, folks, here's a look behind the curtain. Normally, if Shahir and I go out and see a movie together and we're with a group of people, we sometimes go out to a bar or get some food afterward to talk, as, you know, friends do. <laughs> and uh, Shahir and I often don't engage in the conversation because we try to save our conversation for the podcast. Um, this time, because we aren't beholden to our own rules, uh, we're like, you know what, let's try discussing it before the podcast and with our friends, and we did it, and I found myself in this particular case not having a ton to say, which I know, for me, is weird. Um, this film, even after you know sleeping on it, etc., um, has not particularly, um, other than that first third, uh, stayed with me. Mm-hmm. Much really, it's, um, not, it's, not, it's been less than twenty four hours. I know, like but like hours. it's it's like I I haven't, uh, and you know, maybe this is my state of mind right now. I don't want this to be a detriment to the film, but there's you know, uh, and again, I go back all the time to this fucking well. But mother, like I thought about for like a week straight, like every every moment where I wasn't working or doing something else, I was like, oh, but what about this? And I'd like deep dive in the internet and like try to figure stuff out, and like it it captured me uh, in a way that this film just didn't. Now that's not to say that while I was in the theater. I was engrossed. Like I was like, I will watch this. Um, but it did have a shift. For me, it did become predictable, but it didn't really matter that it was predictable because at the end of the day, a lot of uh, horror that I like is predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that I, and I think I've, I've so, sort of, once we get into spoilers, nailed down why that happened for me. Again, I would agree, yes, you should see this in the theater because uh, it's definitely different and it's definitely something, a type of... of um, I don't know. I I I don't think I'd lean as hard as the like you've never seen a thing like this before. I've seen things like this before, and I know not maybe in a in a midsummer sort of uh, going up against Spider Man last week sort of way. Like yeah, I agree with that. But like uh, I, I one thing I did say last night was that past the halfway point, uh, I was like, oh, I know. I mean, again, this isn't. A, I guess this is a a slight, but also not a slight to the film. Mm-hmm. I knew exactly what was going to happen. It, could you name me a film that just so people know what you're talking about, um, where you you know you've seen something like this before? I mean, like for instance, uh, I, I'm just going back, and I know this is a different uh, horror thing, but the latest Halloween, like you kind of know you kind of know exactly what's going to happen up until sort of the very end. You think the latest Halloween is like this movie? No, I just said it's not like this movie. You're asking for a movie I had a similar experience no, no, with. No, I'm, once I'm, you... as- I'm asking for. You said you, you've seen things like this before. I mean, Mother comes to mind as okay. a much more uh, like. Uh, and Mother is an odd film in the, to play in a movie theater. As exactly. Well, right? I'm yeah. saying. I'm, I'm just saying it's not the the way you worded it. It just struck me as a chord. Like like I know you. Maybe I just misinterpreted it, mm-hmm. but it sounded like you were saying like you've never seen a thing like this in the theater, and I think it's rare to. Uh, I, I I just don't think it's as. It's not like. You've if if you watch horror films, you've seen stuff like this before. Okay. It's just not. I don't think done with this particular um, uh, amount of craft, especially in the first third. So I l- let me put it the, the, this way, um, just to clarify what I was saying. The other films playing at the movie theater that we saw over the weekend were Avengers: Endgame, John Wick Three, The Secret Life of Pets, uh, Annabelle Come Home, Toy Story Four, Spider Man: Far From Home, and Midsummer. Midsummer. If if you stumbled into Midsummer, you would feel like you stumbled onto an alien planet. I think compared to everything else, it that's depends playing. on what you're. It depends on what you are interested in in film. I'm saying like it, if you want to look at a bubble of a of a movie theater, right, yeah. with no outside context of the type of person that watches the type of films that they do, absolutely. Like I 100 percent agree with okay. that. I just think from from it depends if you are a 
cinephile for horror or not. Okay. Um, again, I do think this offers things that you will not see often. I just don't think it's like a once in a lifetime, uh, you know, thing. I guess. I guess I did, it, also, I it also doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I, okay. Uh, so. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. Continue. No, no, that was just pretty much it. I, I do think you should go see this movie. Um, and we'll get into sort of the issues that we have with it as we move forward. Uh, I, this movie for me, and it's interesting, I didn't know the story you told in the beginning about it kind of being a writing assignment. Yeah. And it, it, you could tell, well, maybe, I don't know if you could tell, the, the, the parts that resonated with me seems like the parts that were actually... Uh, part of what was going on internally with him with his breakup at the time when he was creating this film. Yeah. Uh, the writing assignment of it, well, I think it was an, uh, a, a, you know, uh, A minus paper, let's say, uh, was not nearly as interesting as the subtext, which the first third was sort of seeped in and then was still there, but not really the focus. Um, so, like, I, this is what I'm saying. As a sophomore outing, I can see a little bit of a hurdle, especially because this was sort of a writing project. Yeah, uh, I'm super pumped for the third time of right. what he does. Like, I will again, I will go see it instantly. Like, he's 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 crafting a pedigree, even if this one stumbles for me uh, in a couple places. We should jump straight into spoilers at this point here, because there's no point about uh, beating around the uh, the bush here. Um, but but uh, so so from this point on, we will we will uh, give you uh, full spoilers for the entire film, which start right at the very beginning. Um, uh, the 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 opening of the film uh, is this sort of kind of an almost uh, odd, oddly paced um, phone call relay where someone, where Danny, the main character played by Forest, uh, Florence Per, uh, is is essentially trying to figure out what has happened to her sister or where her sister is because her sister has left this cryptic message uh, via email, something along the lines of "Everything is black now, and my parent uh, and mom and dad are coming with me too." Um, but in the middle of that, there's this kind of, the, the, the thing that's remarkable is that he's setting up the dynamics for her relationship with Christian, yep. um, which is that he is a seemingly, um, ineffectual boyfriend, I guess is the way you would characterize it. Um, you know, like he's, he's there for her. He's not like the worst guy in the world, but whether he's really willing to like drop everything and, and come to her needs. And her needs are pretty significant at this moment. I'll even I'll even go out on a limb and say a lot of men in their early 20s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Depending on who you are. Well, the thing was, I, I guess the thing that's really interesting, and now that we can kind of freely talk about spoilers here, is like, was he that bad a guy? So, um, he is not a bad guy. He is a selfish guy. So basically, I, I want to break this down as quickly as possible so we can sort of get into uh, the reasoning behind that statement. Um, turns out there's a, you know, Danny's trying to reach out to her family that they're not picking up. You actually see the answering machine go off and the parents sleeping, and you're like, oh, they're just sleeping, and we don't know where the sister is. Uh, and it turns out, after uh, she calls another friend because she's worried that she's bugging Christian too much, she doesn't want to come off as needy, but her sister is always putting her in these sort of panicked states. And then you see uh, Christian's friends being like, oh, she's so needy, dude. Like, you're going to go to Sweden. Like, you got to break up with her. Blah. Uh, and then you, uh, he gets a call from her, just uh, a guttural, uh, just uh, terror scream uh, when she finds out what happens. And then we're sh sh shown the horrors of what... Um, 
basically her sister has done. And her sister left two cars running in the garage, ran tubes up to the parents' room off of the exhaust, and duct taped it under the door for carbon monoxide, or for, is that carbon monoxide technically, or what, yeah. exhaust, um, poisoning and, and killing them in their sleep. And then uh, the most horrific thing is another tube going to the sister's room with a funnel duct taped to her, uh, her mouth and nose and basically breathing it in. And she's leaning dead against a shelf that has the laptop above it that has all of the messages from from Danny. I think the horrific and beautiful thing about that that sequence is the the sense of the umbilical cord. Like it looks like the umbilical cord. I didn't even get no, I didn't even pull that. That's uh, yeah, that's I like that. Yeah, that, and that's what was sort of like beautiful and haunting to to me about that whole thing is this connectedness between the parents and the child. Um, you know, like because the horror is there that the the child is killing the parents. Um, and it is this like the you know this this kind of drowning of death, and I I just found that image so hauntingly beautiful and terrifying at the same time. I found all those things. I still don't know if I. I, I mean, that's a, I like the I like the reading of it. I don't know if I if I I, I didn't get that reading. Right, right. Um, but the interesting thing is, uh, this is where we're going to get into the plot of whether or not Christian is a bad dude or not. I think that that will come down to our entire reading of the film. Right? Uh, I, I will say, overall, <laughs> while it is not uh, untypical for young men to act like this, and I'm sure I've done a minuscule amount of of this sort of thing in my early 20s as well, being ineffectual, uh, I think he's not a good dude. I think he's a selfish dude. And the reason, and we'll sort of get into the reasoning sort of why, but basically what happens is he's on the fence about breaking up with Danny for whatever reasons he is. And everyone in a relationship can break up with people for whatever reasons they want to because a relationship is a partnership and you need both people to be on board. Um, the uh, Where he becomes selfish and a little bit of a, of a child about it is uh, up till this horrific point, He's probably wanted to break up with her, but he's too scared to do it. Right. Um, and so he's protecting himself by stringing her along in a very, uh, like, he's not there for her, but he's not leaving. He's, like, effectually like a phantom of a boyfriend. So she definitely can't go on through the catharsis or pain of, of a breakup without him. But then this horrific thing happens, and then he absolutely should not break up with her at that moment because she needs people and he's not a monster. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think probably what, I guess because it goes from winter to summer, six months pass and they're still together. Yeah. Uh, and it seems like he is stepping up a bit, being a little more um, forward with his sort of care for her to a point. But at the same time, the trip to uh, this Midsummer Festival is coming up and she, he didn't tell her that they were going. This is, you know, uh, that he was going, and he kind of tiptoes around it. Whenever Christian gets backed into a corner, he tiptoes around stuff and tries to make it like. And I've dealt with people like this before, like people that try to make the fact that you are uncomfortable totally not about them. Like it's like, oh well, like I thought about it, like maybe, like we, you know, we hadn't decided when. Of course they had decided, and then they go back and they're talking about it in the apartment alone, and then he acts like. It's like she's crazy for being upset about it. Like it's that flip of it's that a flip of blame. What's a it's a somewhat light gaslighting. 
It's it's pretty intense. At that point, it's pretty intense gaslighting. Yeah. Um, and then he, but he even does it, and this is why I think he's a, <laughs> and I like that he is this character, and he is a actually flawed, not good person. He gaslights his friends. Yeah. <laughs> he, he invites Danny to go with them on this trip. And then tells them two minutes before Danny shows up at their apartment and also says, oh, by the way, you were on board this 100% and you're really excited about it. Okay, thanks. Bye. And then they all just have to go along to sort of like save their ineffectual uh, gaslighty friends. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's where I sit with him, at least up to this point. And I will say nothing that happens in the film later does redeem him for me. Yeah. It, it's, uh, I think there's an interesting thing about this film, which is that, um, you know, the thing I was talking about at the beginning, which is the inevitability of horror, uh, is something that, that kind of starts playing out a little bit stronger towards the back half of the movie. Uh, after the uh, Oster, Osterland, Ostand um, a ritual where the old people uh, throw themselves off a off a cliff to save the the young people for having to look after them. Um, there, there's a thing that happens to for me in this film, which is that it becomes less about the characters and more about the ritual involved, and mm-hmm. the, and the sense of inevitability starts sleeping in to the point where I'm not even following. I'm not necessarily tracking. Um, wh- how this ritual relates to these characters, or you know, like how are these characters going to relate or you know react to, to what's yeah. happening in front of them, and and um, and I think Christian eventually starts playing into that, particularly in his final decision, or we're not exa- we're not even sure what the decision is, but the 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 moment at which he drinks the the mushroom tea for like uh, the ninth time for the ninth time, knowing it's going to be a bad trip, knowing that this uh, pagan. You know, like like this this group around him are somewhat dangerous to him, uh, and knowing that there is this sort of um, additional uh, factor of a young girl at the uh, at the as part of the, the the community who wants to have sex with him and has been, and has seemingly been approved to have sex with him, um, you know, which not again, even seemingly overtly <laughs> approved by the elder of the community yeah, to yeah, have sex and, with him, and, and and he basically, I guess maybe this is the point at which he has decided. He, he, th- this is the thing which is I'm uncertain about, and and I what what the thing about this is I actually kind of like that there is some um, lack of clarity here about what what kind of person he is because I think if the film had gone out of its way to vilify him and make him do like really shitty things that weren't understandable then I think the film would be weaker for they it. They do that with Mark. Yeah, like yeah, exactly. They do yeah, Mark is the the Will Poulter character yep. is essentially the guy who's like, "Oh, this is a shitty dude." You know, like I get it. Whereas with Christian you're like I actually understand where he's coming from and what he's trying to do. I don't. Really? So here's why, and this is why, again, this is not a slight to the film. This is a compliment to the film and the filmmaker and the actor. Right. Um, He is consistently the same gaslighty dude from start to finish. He always, this is is how I read it. He always wanted to have, A, he never really still wanted to be in the relationship, but he's trying to save himself the difficulty of it. He always wanted to have sex with that girl, but he never would do it because he doesn't want to be seen as a bad dude by everybody Unless there's an excuse, and this entire place is designed to give him excuses. So he can't say they all lived. Say mm. no one died, and this was murder, and the whole thing was just to get him to have sex with this girl to further the, the gene pool or whatever. Yeah. And they all went home. This character would 100% be like, I, I would have never done that. They drugged me, and this wasn't my fault. Like he would have, and, and it's consistent throughout the entire movie with everything this character does. He knows exactly, like, he, he, he gives the most baseline, 
boilerplate thing of like, oh, I shouldn't do this every time something happens, but just verbally and just enough for one other person to be like, come on. And then he's like, okay. Like he is looking for plausible deniability for every shitty thing he does so that then even down to the thesis thing, yeah. like it, this the character thesis thing is clear. is clearly the most, the, to, to me is the most sort of defining. I know I'm doing a shitty thing. Yeah. Um, but my point here is that I understand the difficulty that he is having with extricating himself from this relationship with Danny. Sure, but that doesn't make it... Now, I'm not going to say he is a villain. No. I don't think he is a villainous character. I yeah. think he's a... Actu- like, the writing of him and the way he's portrayed is a very... It's a type of human being I have encountered. Yeah. It's a very human thing. It's flawed, and, and not flawed from the performance perspective. The, the character himself is flawed. Yeah. Um... And I've known people like this that literally do that, like that that are looking for the – they're too afraid to do the hard emotional work of moving forward or past a thing. So that instead, they will look for excuses to be like, well, I tried to do this, but life was just too difficult. And and I guess my point there is that that is a completely understandable uh, reaction. Like, like that's the thing. I, 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 see, I, I Not only do I understand, I empathize with them. Oh, I do not. Really? You nope. don't empathize with no, them? No, one, because that's, one little... that is, it, it is the, this is how I see it, and, you know, I... I, I... To, well, to the point that I... The, the, final, the final thing that happens to him, I'm kind of on the fence about... Like, I don't think he deserved it. Well, no one in... deserved to be <laughs> murdered there. No but, one was... At, even Mark, who was a huge douchebag, didn't deserve to be murdered. No, no, no one deserves to be murdered, but the film is... You know, like, we, we talked about this sort of... Um, in the Halloween episode, the morality clause yep. of who gets to die and who doesn't get mm-hmm. to die. And the ultimately, most horror films set up this parameter, which is that your actions will, you know, in horror films, lead to your death uh, in some way. And this and, does that for and, most and, characters. And, and, and for him, the film does that as well, which is that it sets up the parameters for which his shittiness eventually leads to his death. And I, uh, why, my point here is that I think, and again, I think it's actually a compliment to the film. It's not a, it's not a problem with the film. Yeah. Is, that, is that the writing is so subtle with him in terms of what he's doing that I, I understood what he was trying to do, even, even though it was shitty. And I and I empathized with it, even though it was shitty. And I I understood and I, it. I did not empathize with it. Right. Okay. So I empathized with it because I understood the th- the thought process that he was having when he was trying to make when he was making these terrible decisions. Well, you can understand. I guess the the, the empathy and the, and, thing and, is the interesting thing for me in that sentence because understanding what he's doing and and the logistics of the psychology behind what he's doing is a hundred percent one thing. But to empathize with that is to sort of be like. Empathy is the what the ability to sort of put yourself in the emotional shoes of the person. Yeah, exactly. And 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 I can see myself in a situation where you don't want to extricate yourself from a relationship, like extending it out for the longest possible time, even though you completely want to extricate yourself from the relationship. And I I understand that 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 emotion. I, you know, I understand that impulse, that that sort of unwillingness to confront problems. And well, I you empathize know, I, with that. I I can empathize with that aspect of it. What yeah. I can't empathize with is his continual gaslighting of every element of his entire life. He is a hundred percent a coward, and uh, he he does not want. He is always looking for the out to let him do whatever he wants to do at the current moment. Have steal you, steal his friend's thesis, sleep with the young girl, even though he's in a relationship, and not break up with his current person. Have you have you ever? Like known that you needed to have a confrontation with someone and chosen not to for maybe a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because you have to build, you have to figure it out. But like, and again, I'm not. Again, I don't want to say that I'm. Um, <laughs> I love that we're like blaming care. I'm like blaming characters. Yeah, but like, uh, I the, the the getting out of the relationship portion of his indecision. Mm-hmm. 
I can empathize with. I get that. Yeah. It's it's how we see him with his friends, with the thesis, with the girl. It's all the same selfish. As long as I say this one thing later on when this conversation happens, I'm morally covered. Like that's what he's doing. And that is something that I will not and cannot empathize with because you that makes you a, a gaslighty sort of wrong person. Again, do, should he die? No, no, and, <laughs> no. And, and my point here is that I I think the writing is so, you know, like my point here is I didn't want to, I, I like that the film doesn't vilify him to the point where like he's like Will, you know, like he he's completely oblivious to to the traditions that are going around him, yeah. you know, like he just has his own desires kind of fun. I understand what his desires are and I understand the things that he's trying to avoid and I understand the weakness that he displays and I empathize with it. I, I completely understand what it is he's going through and I think that's actually a, a testament to how good the writing is on that, uh, on his character. It's He's not clear cut. He's sure. Not, he's, yeah. not a, he's not an out and out villain and there are, there there are sort of interesting um, ellipses that this film does that I that I thought were really um, fascinating that allowed us to kind of like just have that little bit of doubt about what was happening. Particularly, um, so the, the the one ellipse for me that I that I found really sort of interesting and kind of gave me the benefit of the doubt for him was after he'd been told uh, you have been approved to have sex with this girl. Um, we sort of cut away. We don't exactly know what's happening. And then he's got this indecision about like whether he should drink the mushroom tea because he doesn't want to go on a bad trip. But he seems to like have this like his performance and the sort of the time that we take to sit on him has this sort of fatalistic view of the world. He's you know, never like, not drinking that tea. That's my point. Well, he, he does give it back to her. Yeah, I know. But he's doing he's doing he's the like, thing he, his he, character. I, he asks, I know he's he, doing the thing he does the entire film, which is give himself plausible deniability. You think he always wanted to drink the tea, and then and then I think, and maybe we're talking about the same thing from sort of two different sides of the coin, where you're saying there's an inevitability of the situation. I'm saying his character is 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 the inevitability. I get here's here's what I'm saying. He wants to seem like the good guy and still do the shitty things. That's what his character is. I guess what I'm saying is here is that. The ending of this film is clouded by doubt of like what people's intentions are. I don't and, ever doubt his intentions. Right. And and that's where I think the writing of the film is actually very strong because I am left uh, at the end of the film feeling somewhat uh, mixed about how I how I felt about these characters and whether they deserved what they did, you know, what happened to them or not. And I think due to the writing, I, and again, a compliment to the writing, I'm saying this is a good thing. I never doubted Christian's uh, desires or what he was trying to do. I think that's an incredibly and you're right. It's it's super subtle, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. But I think that's also we're we're basically complimenting the filmmaker for experiencing it two different ways. Yeah. I think I think my my thing here is that the the doubt strengthens the the ending for me. Um. And and particularly uh, Danny's smile at the end is kind of uh, uh, an interesting moment to end the film on. That's where I, I start doubting things is sort of <laughs> the Danny character because we can get into that in a little bit. But yeah. like because I'm still confused at how I, I don't have a str so while I have strong opinions about the Christian character that mm -hmm. I've just sort of stated, Danny's journey. Again, while I enjoyed watching it, I am less ardent to attach what I think to it because I'm, I'm literally not sure. Yeah. And I don't think the not sure is a good thing. 
uh, because it's it's an unsure where I also am not trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, I think there's a what's what's great about the ending of this film uh, is the openness to interpretation that you can kind of bring to it and you know like how you feel about it. You can feel that Danny has done you know has essentially committed an atrocity at the end of this film. Uh, you know essentially the the final the final final act of this movie is uh, we realize that the entire ploy of this of this commune is to select nine sacrifices um, uh, from the outside and two from the inside, I believe. I think they just had to cover, from what I gathered, and again, it's very vague, the ritual is they have to make nine sacrifices. It's going to consist of however many elderly have hit 72 years old, however many people the, and I huh. keep calling it, the, the, the outward people, the people that like the Amish people go in Rumspringa, they, you know, whatever, the people that go out into the real world and come back with friends, however many people they can bring back, and then if that number does not equal nine, then there are volunteers. Uh, then there's volunteers up to the eighth one, and then the May Queen chooses between two people. Right, yeah. Um, and, and I think that um, that sort of the problem for me, uh, you know, as I stated to be, to be, at the beginning, is that the, the the second and third act of the film um, start to feel where they're re the the filmmaker is really invested in the process and is really invested in the ritual and and I started losing track of character journeys in that in that second uh, second and third act, particularly Danny. You know, like I, I the thing I was kind of most interested in was seeing how Danny reacts to the situation. Yeah. And there are, there are certainly moments in this film where which has the sort of the classic horror tropes of you dummy get out of the scenario, you know, what are you doing? And I think like, you know, anyone uh, in, <laughs> I, I, I certainly felt this way in the, uh, in the audience was like watching it going, you just saw two people throw themselves off a cliff, you know, like, and kill themselves. This is not a place you should be. Yeah, you know, like you should get out right now. And and two characters do try to do that immediately, uh, and the film does kind of explain how that doesn't work. But but Danny Christian, uh, I, I forget the other character's name, uh, Jake. Uh, no, Josh. Josh. Uh, played and by Pele. William uh, William Jackson Harbor, uh, and Pele is part of the part of it, Yeah. Um, or, and Mark uh, as well, all kind of stick around. Side note, just a name thing, and I couldn't get this out of my head. Every time, especially at the beginning, there's a scene where the kid, they're on the phone and Danny's talking to Christian, but Mark's in the back going, hi, Danny, hi, Danny, hi, Danny. And she goes, hi, Mark. And all I could think of is, hi, Danny. Right, oh, right. hi, Mark. And like the entire time, the room it kind of was like, get out of here, you stupid reference. So, you know. Okay, this is a sidetrack. We talked about this really briefly last night about not watching trailers. Sure. Um, uh, you know, I don't watch the trailer. So all I knew about this movie, Ari Aster, um, something to do with Midsummer Festival, shit's going to go wrong. Yep. Right? Um, when Because I have no point of reference for the movie at all, like no sense of imagery, when um, there's a couple of things. First off, uh, I thought that the sister's suicide was going to be the reason that they were in the Midsummer Festival. Like yeah. they were being led there because that's where the sister was. And I, that's, you know, like what, what was happening, and the, this is I, maybe how I can best explain the not watching trailers thing does, is that I start making connections that, that the film is presenting to me, not what the trailers have presented to me. So uh, th when the, he's doing the, the high Danny thing in the background, you know, like, and uh, Mark yep. is kind of high, and he's talking about, oh, we just smoked some risen immediately in my mind i started going oh christian is the guy who's going to drug everyone in this whole scenario so i, I well i see i thought that too like i thought that about the sister i thought that about christian but i watched the trailer so right. i think this trailer while i the trailer did not get me excited and i don't think it, it succeeded in that regard the trailer was a good trailer in the sense that it did not ruin anything about the film other than the things that you had already predicted 
Like, like, uh, like it's a it's a midsummer festival. Shit's gonna go wrong. Yeah. Like, but that's just basically the genre and the sure. The premise, but but right? also a lot of times we know the trailers tend to uh, yeah. break. And, things. and my my only, my other thing there is I love like uh, the moment that she, uh, for example, for, and again we're getting into the trailers conversation, but like <laughs> when she when she walks from the bedroom into um into the airport uh oh the bathroom to bathroom yeah yeah like that's given away in the trailer and i loved seeing that for the first time i didn't even remember that in the trailer it's it's in the trailer and and i was like oh i love like just experiencing that for the first time and going and like being disorientated by that and seeing how wonderful that transition is so that's what i love about that but coming back to these two characters so i think the the problem for me in the second uh in the second or third act is we we lose track of Danny's reaction to these events and and essentially her except for one big one. <laughs> yeah, but her agency in choosing whether to do to to like go along with this or not. And and what happens there is I think the the profoundness of it is is that we get the sense of inevitability about it. You know, again the word I keep tapping on here uh, is that is that it feels like whether they want to or not, they're not getting away from this festival. They're not getting away from these people. They're not getting away from what's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen. Uh, and I think that is a it's an odd experience, you know. And and there's only one moment at the final turn, which is basically Danny's choice. Um, that suggests like how we're going to do that, and it's not the choice that you're kind of thinking that this kind of film is going to give you, um, you know, in terms of like the morality clause of horror movies, so to say, so to speak. I mean, uh, it, they're, it they're, they're felt not, like in the vein. They're, they're not, you know, like again, I would have felt that, you know, logically, once you see these two people kind of kill themselves off the cliff, the elderly people, the entire push for Danny and Christian uh, and Mark and Josh is to like leave. Right, but but it's that's not what happens. In fact, they all end up staying, and we have this argument about theses or thesi, uh, you know, and about uh, an anthropological study, and 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 Danny kind of just gets relegated into like just going along with tasks as they're happening. Yeah. Now I think the thing in a rewatch, it would be interesting is seeing how tracking how much attention Danny is playing to Christian at that point. Right. Like you know, like because the because in the middle of this is this sort of. The 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 pubic hair and menstrual blood, you know, like uh, choosing. What a beautiful moment, tapestry uh, moment, and I and I I think that it's all there, but there's a there, for me watching it, there was a little bit of lack of of understanding of where this was going. I think after our conversation last night and this one, I think I've uh, and I, and this is not a full thought. I want to work through this with you, so so shoot down the the breaking points, and I'll see if it stands up. Um. I think I know why the second half didn't work for me as well as the first, well, the first third to the, the last two thirds. We do get the, like, I will never fault a horror movie for characters being stupid and sticking around in a dangerous situation. It's very hard to pull off characters still being trapped in a place and being smart. Uh, there's tons of dumb horror movies that I really do enjoy when people, uh, the classic literally run upstairs from the killer, right? Like you can't get away upstairs. Yeah. You're trapping yourself. But the best films, the best horror films are the ones that kind of explain why you run upstairs, right? Like explain why you stay in a situation. Jaws explains why we're still on the wall. Right. If you can do that, that's all the better for it. The interesting thing here is though, we go from a... The first third is a sort of inevitability of, like you keep using the word, of just like horrific situations and people trapped in situations and things just sort of barreling forward because that's the direction that things move. And then, and I, I would say that no character is acting 
dumb or stupid. Like, I mean, there's people with character flaws, of course. But then when we get to right after the old people throw themselves off the cliff, like you sort of said, it becomes like the tropiness of characters making stupid decisions to stay is in direct contrast for me with the entire with 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 how the film is shot and feels in a in a I'll call it a standard horror movie or a movie a horror movie where I am more used to this trope being played mm-hmm. the entirety of the film feels the same level of silly as characters sticking around for dumb reasons yeah i i i would agree with that that was the the not the breaking point but i was like Hmm. Again, I was always interested in what was happening, even though I think I figured it out and even though this was happening. But I think that's why this film is not one that I am questioning like I questioned Mother or that I questioned like whenever it's something like really deep seated gets in me and I need to know like what the filmmaker was thinking. It was that was that was the moment where I was like, there are two disparate types of horror here butting up against each other, which, for instance, in Hereditary never happened, Hmm. Um, even though there was a balance of sort of supernatural and. And um, I guess I just call it natural horror. Um, So that is when I sort of started being like, oh, okay, so I'm just going to go on this ride. And I don't have to think about it as much because even though this is a very beautifully done, stylized piece, the characters aren't thinking about it that much. And the characters aren't thinking about it in the same beautiful, stylized way that it seems the filmmakers are. And then I just sort of disconnected from that part of the experience. So I want to read a quote from Ariasta, uh, who gave an interview about this this part of the film, um, uh, and he he essentially uh, he was being asked the question about like the symbols in the film. You know, like there's this lot of work in symbols in the Runes. film. Yeah. Uh, well, not not just that, but like oh. you know, like how do the 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 images in the tapestries. Um, you know, like um, when when people are talking about. Uh, the world has gone black kind of thing, you know, and they're going into an entirely lit way. And he was being asked the question about, like, you know, do you think, do you plant a lot of Easter eggs in this film to kind of, you know, reward people? And he said, well, I definitely don't want to, I, I definitely want to make films that encourage people to look closely and that reward an active engagement. I don't, I don't know if I would say there are Easter eggs in the film so much as I've kind of buried details that are close enough to the surface that they're there to be seen. If you see them and if you look around, they hopefully give the film deeper thematic resonance. There are uh, a lot of uh, prophetic images in Midsummer in the Midsummer House, which are where it's like, okay, if you really look around, you can see what's going to happen to this guy and what's going to happen to this guy. The whole story uh, is kind of telegraphed on the walls of the film. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was fun even more so than with Hereditary because this is a film where people walk in knowing what's going to happen. The folk horror genre, and I guess he's referring to films like The Wicker Man, yeah. uh, if you have any history with watching these films, you know where it's going. The fun for me of this film is that there, uh, if there is any fun in watching it, uh, is not the narrative surprises because for me, everything is telegraphed. Yeah. It's about getting to the place that you know you're going. And I, yeah. I, I, I guess I maybe I'm not as well versed in the folk horror genre, but I guess you know, like Mandy was another film that we reviewed yep. that kind of had that sa- similar vibe, similar uh, end building too. Yeah, and sim- uh, similar, uh, yeah, d- you know, sense of inevitability to the and end. And a that, pyramid and a yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm not as well versed, but I, I actually found that kind of element to it a little bit of a narrative letdown where. We, I, I, again, I wanted to be taken by surprise from the, by the characters, you know, like by the character's reaction to doing things. And I, and I think 
you know, again, it, it, uh, the word I keep using, inevitability, um, is it feels like what is happening to all these characters. Even and even in some ways, it's a positive because Christians Christians' actions to drink the the mushroom tea felt like he was kind of accepting of his fate or accepting, 100% was. accepting of the actions that he was going to take. Yeah. And and it felt like he was doing that because he knew some he maybe knew where this was all hitting. No, he <laughs> he knew that he he wanted an out. I still stand by that. What what yeah, um and then the the interesting thing here is let's go to the final smile that we all talked about here, which is there was an interesting uh, uh interview in uh, USA today with between uh, f- uh the lead actress Florence per and as I hope I'm pronouncing her last name correctly. And this is going to be a weird thing to say, but a absolutely stunning frown. She has a she has like the expressions because she's very sad for a lot of this thing. And yeah. like, you know, you always you people that have really nice smiles. Mm. This her her face was so emotive and different levels of of um either sadness or intrinsic horror or, or angst or whatever. And she only, I think, to be honest, I, there might be a fake toothy smile somewhere else in there, but the, I think she only smiles at the end of the film. Oh, I think she does smile at other points. I the think film, it's but more like a nervous, sm- it's like a nervous, like, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, yeah, but the smile at the end of the film is really the the, the yeah. p- uh, punctuation mark that makes this film kind of interesting. Highly about. expressive human. I, I uh, just thought that was very, very well done. Before we get to that smile, the, the moment at which she basically sees Charlie, uh, Christian, sorry, um, you know, having sex with, uh, with the other woman, and she, you know, has this, like, absolute breakdown and it's not entirely it's not completely related to to what she's seeing but it's also related to the fact that she's on mushrooms but also related to like the trauma that she's experienced throughout the entire movie it's all culminating there's a moment where all the other uh women her age you know follow her into one of the barns and she cries and they cry in the exact same way I thought the like the thing for me that was so startling was I that was so beautiful it was it was such a beautiful expression of like how you can like express grief you know like essentially that's what she needs from christian you know like she needs that that response mechanism yeah. from christian yep. and the fact that this community ends up giving it to her is so strikingly beautiful that it actually makes the end make sense for me. Sure. Um, but I don't know how you felt about that moment, but I, watched I, mean, it, I, was, was, I, was, I was like, this is stunning. You know what's interesting? Uh, a, agree with that 100%. B, that moment and also the sex scene, uh, which there are admittedly sort of funny parts. And those two scenes are intercut. Yeah. Uh, the audience was both, in the movie theater, was both... A gasp and laughing. Yeah, and that was an interesting experience. And at first, I was like, "Oh, this is like not working because people are laughing." But then I was like, "I don't know. Like, I think it's all part of it." I I think you know again um, that the sort of the talent in filmmaking is you know not fifty to sixty percent of the game is just getting a reaction from your audience. Yeah, you know, like, and he's getting reactions. He's getting terror, laughs, nervous giggles. You know, like people don't know what to make. Yeah, but he's presenting images that evoke a response. Um, and so the final image that evokes a response is uh, is Danny's smile because she's watching the nine sacrifices, three of which are alive, one of which is Christian inside of a bear, yeah. uh, like a bear husk, yeah. uh, who's representing the beast or representing the darkness or whatever the evil thing in the... The movie reference that I have in mind, which is which is a folk horror reference, I guess, as well, uh, a movie which I saw very, very young was The Rainbow and the Serpent, oh, or yeah. The Serpent and the Rainbow, uh, which is about this sort of occult cult which has this burial ritual where someone has to be buried alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one was The, the Vanishing, where uh, a character, uh, I guess this is a spoiler for The Vanishing, 
But the, well, this is an interesting one. There's two different endings to The Vanishing because it was remade by as an American film and the ending, the American film completely inverts it. <laughs> but, okay. But, but the, essentially a character gets buried alive and it's a sense of like absolutely being trapped. I think one of the best episodes of The Twilight Zone had that as well where like a character was being, was, was essentially powerless to see what was happening to them while they were being... Oh, yeah, because Christian was alive and awake while he was being stuffed inside of a bear carcass, but also he could not move. Yeah, and it, and and I loved the, that that image, you know, like the, the, we, you know, at the very beginning, the, the Londoner says, we're just not going to talk about the bear. And they pan over, <laughs> yeah, and it's just and a giant black, a brown bear in a cage. Yeah, and yeah. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, and suddenly the bear comes back in the end, and it relates to a painting that's at the beginning of the film that's on Danny's wall, which yeah. is to the bear and the, and the princess. Um, it, you know, like... All the symbols kind of come together in this really beautiful way in this film. And that smile, it you know, comes back to that question of the conversation we were having earlier, which is that does not does he deserve this, but what does this smile represent? Like, is you know, like emotionally, she is throwing away Ch- Christian. Yeah. But but does he deserve to be thrown away in this way? He deserves to be thrown away. No one deserves to die again, I say. Like for instance But that's I guess that comes down to whether you take the ending as literal or as metaphor. You know, like like is the film well, I mean, metaphorically about her her catharsism of this grief. I mean, I or think is it, it literally is. about I think this dick. Christian has been rolled up because he's been so ineffective and so just meh, for lack of a better term, in their relationship. Well, he's been there for her. He hasn't like really been there for her. So he is then wrapped up in all of the grief of her family dying. Yeah. Um, and in that moment when she finally decides, because he's not going to do it. <laughs> Uh, he'll keep drinking the tea and sleeping with other people and not breaking up with her, Uh, then she is going to finally make the decision to cast off him, which in a sense, because it is so entangled now with the tragedy of her family and the, the she just had the emotional catharsis that she needed from him, from all of these stranger women. Yeah. Uh, she has now come sort of full circle and now is like, is is finally putting that bag down. Like, the baggage is being put down, and that's why she smiles. Now, granted, that is the metaphorical, her journey coming through at the end. I think it's important to read this film from both a a metaphorical and a actual what-is-happening thing. Straight up, she is an accomplice to murder. (laughs) I mean, but... But and, and and I do I think again that any character deserves to die in this film. No, like they're all assholes in their own way. Granted, that is again a horror trope where like you the, you kind of get the folks on board in the audience to be okay when people get offed, depending right. on who they are. Mark, it's okay because he pisses on the ceremonial tree. Um, Chidi, I can't remember from a good place. What was this character? Josh. Josh is there. Yeah. Um, Josh. Uh, gets offed because he goes and takes pictures of the book. I mean, they're, might have, they're probably going to off him anyway, but he gets offed, in, at least at this point, because he goes and takes pictures of a book he shouldn't. Which, side note, the person who kills him is wearing Mark's face for some reason. I, I didn't actually catch that. I was I I, uh, I was like, ooh, that guy's got weird eyes. Doesn't doesn't make any sense with the rest of the imagery that I caught. There were two, one or two moments where I was like, you're d- like, you're taking the victory lap of creepy, and it doesn't quite tie in because, again, the bear and the fire and the tapestry and the and the pubic hair and the menstrual blood and like all that stuff like is literally on the walls. Yeah. And there were certain disparate moments of the cult's creepiness that just show up. Yeah, and you're like, okay. Um, the but I think it's important to read this film from both sides. I don't think it is a uh, a one side of the coin thing. You can be a hundred percent okay with finally Danny having catharsis of of kind of coming through this journey and and kind of sort of finding her place in a people that can actually 
support her in She's a way that a she needs. Family. She found a new family. Yeah. And that is important to witness. But also, you you need to see the dichotomy of, to do this, four of her friends, one of which her boyfriend, and five other people had to die. And there were uh, uh, numerous horrors that had to be induced to actually get this through. Yeah, no, and I, and I think there's no denying the irony of the horror there, but the, the final sequence, particularly the music and the, the sort of, again, that, that process of watching the ritual is beautiful, right? Like, it's, 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 it's horrifically beautiful, but it's beautiful. And I think the final sort of, it, the, the, the final moments of the film feel like somewhat of a triumph for Danny. And I think that's, that's where the, the sort of, the the cloudiness of the film is actually working in its favor. I like that it is playing on a on a tapestry that is um, not not kind of cut and dry like we're expecting, which I think is what you're saying. Um, the uh, I wanted to to point out this interview that uh, that uh, came from USA Today, and it was it was basically uh, Florence and Ariasta basically <laughs> g- giving the machine, sorry. yeah, Florence and the machine uh, talking about their different interpretations of that final moment. Um, and uh, according to Per, again, I, I, it seems like a weird way it's to per. say it. Is that how you say it? I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Danny's act of seemingly callous vengeance isn't so cut and dried. In fact, the actress suggests that her character is so far gone mentally by the end that she doesn't even realize that she's killing Christian, which is how she chose to play the scene. Uh, and here's quoting um, uh, Florence. I thought it would be interesting to have the love of her life in the building, and she's a kid looking at a firework, Percy is. That's how I imagined it, saying this is someone who is completely gone now. She doesn't realize what's going on, and she's, re- she's just really happy that the fire is going up. So when we shot that, that's what I was trying to get at. Um, that's what make the end- made the ending possible for me. I don't think I would have supported Danny as much if I knew that she was... Uh, uh, if, if she knew that he was in there. Um, I don't think anybody is that sinister. Um, but uh, Asta comes in and see, and actually disagrees with her. Um, she, she played it that way to get a certain reaction that he wanted. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's directing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and she kind of goes on to talk about how the fact that she there were other scenes cut from the, the film which illustrate that she might not know that uh, Char- Christian is in the, is in the uh, tent, uh, in the, the hut. Um, but Asta says, while Asta confirms that those scenes existed, he respectfully challenges Per's interpretation of the ending. I wouldn't agree that there has ever been an iteration of the film where she didn't know he was burning, Asta says. But there are lots of scenes that were cut and probably a few that helped illustrate that she was losing a grip on sanity, which you hopefully will still see. Uh, he points to the climactic uh, scene after Danny catches ca- uh, Christian cheating and she begins sobbing uncontrollably. The group of women from the cult carry her indoors and huddle her around her, echoing her screams and her wails. That's her breaking point, Asta says. Uh, it's also fusing her with this community. Yeah, it's she's also found, a healing point, which yeah, is weird. Yeah, she found people who are willing to feel what she's feeling, and she's just able to purge. So I think for Asta, that moment is actually Danny's journey of purging yeah. Christian from her life. Mm-hmm. And I think, and and it's weird because the the that ending is the sort of uh, you know again with the music and with the the sort of seek the the sequences of shot, the lack of like any characters stopping what's happening is a sense of triumph. You know, it's a it's a kind of like perverse triumph of of character, and it's similar to to what he did in Hereditary as well. Like you know, <laughs> Hail Paimon at the end uh, is a perverse triumph of uh, of this this cult kind of coming together to like to 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 create this new uh, this new character. And I think I it's weird that 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 is. <laughs> Do you think they're gonna come together in the in yeah, the Paimon Ari cinematic and, universe? Maybe yeah, but that's also why. I also, you know, pointed to that thing at the very beginning of the film, which is that this is it's it's very unusual to see a film that takes a triumph in 
evil evil winning in this way and with this much perversity. Uh, and I think that's kind in of hereditary or in this in this. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of wonderful to see. I and and I I just love the the sort of like feel, feeling the the audience's uncomfortableness yeah. with this. You know, like moral evil won. Yeah, personal evil lost. And by that I mean Danny's Danny is now the best Danny we've seen at the end of the film from the entirety of the film. She is the most okay. Yeah. And that's an interesting, weird, terrifying concept. Yeah. From a, from an outsider moral, even the audience sort of looking at it, like it's fucked up and evil one and oh shit, well that's depressing. But at the same time, this one character in this entire film, it this worked out weirdly the best it possibly could given her situation from the beginning of the of the of the film, yeah. like, because because here's the deal. Again, going back to Christian, Christian was never going to become not a a doofy shithead. Like he's not going to have a trans. Like then the writers, but but the way the film went, he never was. Like they, I think they did a good job showing that this is who this person is, and this they're not changing. <laughs> um, so there had like if he's not going to make a decision, both either in person or metaphorically, she will do both. Um, due to you know, I mean, you she could have been she is coerced. Well, I also like that she is the one that has to make the decision. Yep. You know, like it's 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 we we've been waiting the entire film for Christian to to yep. like and she doesn't. She pulls a, the trigger. She pulls the trigger. So the moral of this story is cults always win and get out of your deadbeat relationships. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, um, do you have any other final thoughts? No, I, I I look. I think the film is weird, wonderful, beautiful, strange, so. So unusual to see at a movie theater with you know Spider Man playing in the next in the next theater yeah. and Toy Story and playing the other side. Um, I, I and and for all those reasons, even though kind of the second second and third act kind of didn't quite play for me while I was watching it, I think there's so much meat on them bones yeah. kind of thing that I will revisit this film and you know my opinion of it will change. That first half again, that first you know third. Still the best, film real good. Yeah, best filmmaking I've seen this year. Um, uh, a lot of um, a lot of similarities uh, in this film to another film that I that was kind of my best film of the year thus far, uh, which was Jordan Peele's Us. Um, and uh, and I feel like the the moral ambiguity of both these films and the moral ambiguity of kind of this this type of horror I think is is really fascinating and um, kind of points to the power of great horror. You know, the power yeah. of great horror to kind of make social commentary. Um, yeah, really, really wonderful. Uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, and I'll just say I agree with most all of that. Um, I do think it 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 loses its sort of tone between like what a horror movie's silly stuff is plus uh, what the 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 level of of horrific drama that it does near the near the second half. But again, uh, it's worth seeing. I've enjoyed this conversation weirdly, not weirdly. I just I've enjoyed this conversation here more than I actually thought I would. Um, while this was not a film that had me internally debating things about it, it has been a rich place to discuss with other people. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, so, and this, I guess, has been the only podcast about the film Midsummer. And if you want to continue that conversation, you can do so by emailing us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or hitting us up on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Or now, new and fresh, you could also uh, connect with us on Instagram yeah. uh, at Only Movie Podcast. Do that connection, Shahir, when you are not 
jet-setting to what could have been your possible future's past in Stockholm, in your own mind, where can folks find you? You can find me inside the bear at www.shahirdowd.com and uh, on uh, Twitter at Shahir Dowd. Uh, Matt, when you are not proverbially... Um, throwing old relationships away. Where can people find you? <laughs> you can find me <laughs> never being Christian. Jesus at uh, m a t t h e w k r o l dot com for my life and works, or Skeletor the number four p r e z on Instagram or Emperor M S K on Twitter. Also check out the good works we're doing over on Extra Credits. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Good extra mythology is good. We got something coming up. Uh, I believe it'll be out by the time this is the disappointing final level. Why video game endings uh, just oh. don't always stick, and it's from a development perspective. It's very interesting. Uh, also, Shahir, I, I know we didn't get here, but you had an amazing observation written in your <laughs> notes, and I just want you, if you could just end I, I, this episode with what you wrote down that I laughed heartily at when I read. Look, I just wanted to say this one thing. Coming from a brown person's perspective, this film does for Swedish people what Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom did for Indians. And I, for one, am 100% okay with that new change in direction. So, uh, Swedish people, if you're out there listening, uh, just know I'm never visiting your country. You're on notice. You're on notice. I'm never coming there. And Indians, uh, we're back on the table. Yay! Yay. All right, well, you'll hear us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.